Chapter 7. The Book of Revelation, A New Perspective. Through the Book of Mormon, we have a special witness that the writings of John recorded in the Book of Revelation are, are true, at least insofar as they have been correctly translated. <clears throat> this witness stems from the fact that John's vision was part of the same revelation given to Nephi, that part which Nephi was commanded not to write. It follows that we ought to become familiar with John's record, but Revelation seems to be an enigma whose symbolism and obscure references make it difficult to understand. John used the words of Moses. A quick review of the book reveals that much of the language which John used is similar to that used in discussing the phenomena of the Exodus. In fact, it almost sounds as though John lifted the plagues of the Exodus right out of the Old Testament. Nevertheless, he is writing of the future. Write of the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. If it is true that the prophets employed the same terminology, whether discussing the past or the future, then an examination of the book of Revelation in light of the account of the Exodus, and the light which Velikovsky's thesis seems to throw upon the account, may prove to elucidate what it may, what is for many an unintelligible prophecy. The future is a replay of the past. It is interesting to note that the destructions and plagues enumerated in Revelation are grouped in much the same order as the plagues discussed in Exodus, Joshua, Isaiah, Habakkuk, etc. It is this grouping of plagues which throughout the scripture seems to indicate a planetary encounter as the cause of the phenomena mentioned. John has written so that anyone who understands the nature of the past upheavals might comprehend the metaphors which he employs. John saw the same things occurring in the future which had happened in the past, and he was very careful to describe future events in the same language which earlier prophets had used in describing the events of their age. <clears throat> the only thing for which he could not compensate was the ignorance of those living in the last days. Those, as Peter said, who would be ignorant of the fact that the heavens and the earth had been changed in times past and would again be changed in another day of judgment. The Beginning of Sorrows the first mention we find in Revelation of the calamities that are to befall the earth is in chapter 6, quote, And I beheld, when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the, soon became, <laughs> the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind, and the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Earthquakes. The first feature event uh, of this event is that of an earthquake. Although earthquakes occur throughout the world on a fairly regular basis, it appears that since every mountain and island will be moved, that it is to be a no localized earthquake, but a global in nature. What could cause the entire earth to quake? None of the forces we see in operation around us today seem great enough to occasion such an earthquake. Yet if Velikovsky's thesis is correct, such a disturbance is not only possible, but a matter of historical verity. Falling stars. Another common reference in prophetic narratives of latter-day events, a reference found also in Revelation, is that of stars falling. Velikovsky explained that in the past, when the Earth encountered another body in space, the poles of the Earth shifted position, i.e., the Earth tipped due to the gravitational attraction of the two bodies. To an inhabitant of the Earth, it would appear that the star field overhead had fallen below the horizon and disappeared. This might also account for the use of the term new heaven. 
The old starfield in the sky would be replaced by a new starfield rising as the old one fell. Such a sidereal change might also account for the statement that the heaven departed as a scroll when it was rolled together. In fact, in light of such an explanation, the simile is most valid, for it leaves little doubt as to what John saw in vision, and what will be seen again in the last days. Parley P. Pratt also interpreted the matter of falling stars from heaven to the earth as a description of other celestial bodies being reunited with the earth after having been torn away in former convulsions. He affirmed that the return of these stars where the heavenly bodies would cause the prophesied cataclysms of the earth. Darkness. Due to the earthquakes and the tidal effect of the body's gravitational pull as it approached the earth, the earth's molten core would be affected so as to dramatically increase the volcanic activity on the earth's surface. The atmosphere would be darkened with ash thrown from many newborn volcanoes, which would cause the sun to become black as sackcloth of hair. Incandescent moon. For the same reasons that the Earth's volcanic activity would accelerate and from heating by induction as a result of the interaction of the magnetic field surrounding the Earth and the planet comet, the moon would be a scene of great heating. As it has neither atmosphere nor oceans to dissipate the heat, it would simply become incandescent. Hence, the prophet declared that the moon became as blood. Notice that he did not say that it became blood. He used a simile, saying, <clears throat> essentially saying that it turned red. Inhabitants hide. It should also be remarked concerning the cataclysm which John saw that the inhabitants of the earth hid themselves. Quote, and the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men, every bondman and every free man, virtually everyone, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. In an earthquake, people do not hide. They instinctively run into the street, despite the fact that the street may be the least safest place for to be because of falling debris. Nevertheless, John stated that the people hid themselves. From what then might they have been hiding? If not from an earthquake, perhaps from the very comet or planet which the prophet Joseph Smith declared would be a sign of the Lord's coming. Moreover, John implied that the people had had time to flee, a circumstance which an earthquake would preclude. The implication is clear. If Velikovsky's explanation is correct, then John seems to be saying that the Earth will be visited by another body from space which will cause a great crustal disruption of the entire Earth, a shifting of the poles, a blackening of the atmosphere, and the heating of the moon to the point of incandescence. Trumpets. Then, in the eighth chapter of Revelation, we are introduced for the first time to the seven angels with the seven trumpets who will herald each of the upcoming plagues. But before examining the plagues and destructions meted out by the angels, it may be instructive to look at the activity of the angels themselves. One of the most prominent features of the plagues spoken of in Revelations is the sounding of trumpets by various angels, each heralding a new plague, or cataclysm, to befall the inhabitants of the earth. This has always seemed largely symbolic, and because most of John's references seemed obscure, many readers have considered the entire book to be symbolic. Yet, if we accept the account of Exodus, it appears that the trumpet did sound during the law-giving at Mount Sinai. Quote, and it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount, and the voice of a trumpet exceedingly loud, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. End quote. Not only the new... <laughs> Not only the Old Testament, but modern revelation confirms this and declares that a trumpet will sound again. 
Quote, for a trump shall sound both long and loud, even as upon Mount Sinai, and all the earth shall quake, end quote. What is more, Orson Pratt wrote that the sounding of the trumps is to be understood literally. Quote, and the time will come when the seven angels, having the seven last trumps, will sound their trumps literally, and the sound thereof will be heard among all the nations, just preparatory to the coming of the Son of Man, end quote. Music of the Spheres Velikovsky asserted that the sound of the trumpet heard at Mount Sinai was a consequence of the comet approaching the earth. He also maintained that the sound was heard worldwide. Midrashic literature, for example, tells of seven different pinches of trumpet sounds heard at Mount Sinai. Notice the correlation of the seven pitches with the seven angels sounding trumpets in Revelation. As two charged bodies, such as planets, approach one another in space, a pure tone is generated in the atmosphere by electromagnetic oscillation. As the distance between the two bodies increases or decreases, the intensity and the pitch of the sound changes, much like the operation of the theremin. Simply another sign. Since the sound heard in connection with the law given at Mount Sinai was generated by the two orbs, it was heard around the world. Naturally, these trumpet-like sounds accompanied the other disasters meted out by the commonet. Thus, if the plagues spoken of by John are to be understood as having been caused by the approach of a planet-like comet, then the sound of the trumpets mentioned in connection with the Exodus could very appropriately serve to explain the trumpets mentioned in Revelation. In other words, John was simply listening another, listing another of the physical manifest manifestations of the near collision of the earth with another body. Therefore, in a very literal manner, the sound of the trumpets is to accompany the prophesied cataclysms prior to the second coming of the Savior. Quote, Wherefore, be not deceived, but continue in steadfastness, looking forth for the heavens to be shaken and the earth to tremble and reel to and fro as a drunken man, and for valleys to be exalted and for the mountains to be made low, and for the rough places to become smooth. All this when the angel shall sound his trumpet. End quote. Before the angels sound their trumpets, another angel is to fill his censer with fire from the altar of heaven and cast it into the earth. This is to be attended by voices and thunderings and lightnings and earthquake. Velikovsky maintained that during the law giving at Mount Sinai, the earth groaned and the skies thundered. We have seen that the records of peoples around the world attest to the fact that all the world heard these sounds. Some heard words in the sound, some did not. Two accounts in the Book of Mormon mention a similar phenomenon. See Alma and Helaman. The destructions begin. In verse 7, the first of the seven angels sounds his trumpet and three destructions follow. Hail, fire, and blood. Plagues very similar to those of the Exodus. Quote, the first angel sounded and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood and they were cast upon the earth and the third part of the trees were burnt up and all green grass was burnt up. End quote. John grouped these three together, saying that they were mingled, <clears throat> indicating a more and simultaneous occurrence, uh, indicating a more or less simultaneous occurrence. Again, using the account, <laughs> using the account of the Exodus as a means of understanding prophetic metaphors, and that in light of Velikovsky's thesis, the three plagues will be meteorites, burning naphtha, and limonite, or ferric oxide. In succeeding verses, John indicated that the red dust will make water unpotable. It will kill marine life and make the water bitter, the same effects ascribed to the bloodied water of the Exodus. Jumping ahead to verse 12, as we see that John also spoke of the darkening of the Earth's atmosphere, 
Quote, and the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars. So as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the light night likewise. End quote. This darkening seems to be caused by the dust and debris of the comet entering the Earth's atmosphere, as well as by volcanic ash thrown into the atmosphere by many new volcanoes. John's reference to a shortening of the day-night cycle of the Earth may be an indication of disrupted rotation. John points out the cause. It seems evident that John was speaking of a close encounter of the most disastrous kind. Nevertheless, the most stunning aspect of this narrative are those verses within he wrote the cause of the disasters. Quote, And the second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. And the third angel sounded, and there was a great far star from heaven burning as it were a lamp. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from the heaven unto the earth. End quote. The clarity of John's statements is not clouded by his use of the term star, for the point of is that the earth will come in contact with celestial bodies. The last verse cited is even emphatic. John went on to give a more compelling evidence for this. Quote, And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth. And to him was given the key of the bottomless pit, and he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. End quote. The metaphor of the bottomless pit comes from the battle, in the sky when the people of the earth saw the dragon or serpent defeated and driven underground by the god of light. In these verses, John pointed directly to the stars that fall from heaven as the ancient agent which is to cause the smoke which fills the air. Again, this fits the cause and effect relationship outlined by Velikovsky. John is simply saying that the same sort of thing will happen in this future encounter. Locusts or something else? John then pointed out that locusts will come out of the smoke. The fact that the locusts do so, in verse 3, and that they do not eat the plants of the earth, verse 4, should indicate that they are probably not truly locusts. John is still speaking metaphorically. Nevertheless, John is speaking of a literal phenomenon. The parallel between this chapter of Revelation and the book of Joel is more than coincidence. The locusts, we are told by Joel and John, have the appearance of horses, and then we are told the heads of the horse were like the heads of lions. They make a terrible, no, terrible, they make a sound like chariots, and horses running to battle. These are the terrible ones of Isaiah. But what are they? We can read an almost identical account in the Vedic hymns, where they are called Maratus, Maratus, no, Marats. <laughs> That's a hard word. And Homer described them as terrible creatures, the steeds of Ares, or the moons of Mars. Velikovsky claimed that the, in these interplanetary encounters, the moons were seen to accompany the passing planet. They were thought to be steeds pulling the passing planet as a chariot. At the same time, multitudes of small, short-period comets were created. These packs of asteroids and debris carried some atmosphere with them, so that they appeared to be comets. They intersected with the Earth from time to time after the original Holocaust and caused much damage and noise, keeping mankind in a nearly constant state of fear. Apparently, these things will again be seen to occur, according to John. John's reference to these locusts as having hair of women should confirm their identity as comets. The word comet comes from the Latin coma, meaning hair. Whoa, whoa, whoa.
John also made this interesting observation. Quote, one woe is past, and behold, there come two woes more hereafter. End quote. The destruction having abated for the moment, John went on to speak of spiritual things in chapter 10. Notice, however, that he spoke of these great natural disasters as woes, only the first of which had passed. He made it plain that two more woes were to follow. In fact, in chapter 11, he told of the two prophets who will testify to the Jews in Jerusalem in their last days, enumerated the destructions that are to accompany their work, including blood, plagues, and a great earthquake, and then wrote in verse 14 that the second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. John had just listed the second of the three, wo <laughs> three woes, and it, like the first, was accompanied by signs, which we have come to understand as the phenomena associated with a near collision. The third woe comes in chapter 16 and is undoubtedly the worst of all. Quote, and the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. End quote. John left no doubt that the woes had ended and that the earth might enter its rest. From John's earlier reference to three bodies colliding, or nearly colliding, with the earth, and from his reference to three separate woes, it would appear that the earth will be visited at least three times prior to the second coming, each time from by bodies from space, sent by the great architect of the universe to destroy the wicked and corrupt, dismantle all existing societies, organizations, and governments, and prepare the earth for the glory of the millennium. Whether or not the number of encounters is correct is of little significance except perhaps as an indication that there will be more than one such encounter. After the first encounter, the probability of subsequent encounters increases due to the laws of orbital mechanics. Once the orbits of planets are altered in the first encounter, they tend to remain in their new orbits, which will eventually return them to the same point in space where the initial encounter occurred. More details. Returning to the second and third woes, there are some other items worth noting. Some very special powers are given, are to be given to the two prophets. John calls them witnesses, who will be called upon to testify to the Jews in Jerusalem. They will be able to devour their enemies with fire, stop the rain, turn water to blood, and smite the earth with all plagues, as often as they will. Remember that in the account of the Exodus, the miracles were attributed to the power of Moses, when in fact it was God's work. Moses was merely the Lord's servant, calling down plagues, as the Lord bade him to do so. So it will very likely be with regard to the two prophets mentioned in Revelation. In any event, the destructions attending their ministries seem to be the signs of an interplanetary collision. Notice that in verse 7, the beast, also known as the dragon or serpent, from the bottomless pit is the instrument of their demise. Evidently, they will be taken by the same agent that will bring death to others. Quote, and the same hour was there a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell, and in the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand. And the remnant were affrighted, and gave glory to the God of heaven. And there were lightnings, and voices, and thunderings, and an earthquake, and great hail. End quote. The second woe is past. Again, we have seen the familiar signs that explain what John saw. Third is the worst. The last of the three woes begins in chapter 16. We find that the seven angels will relinquish their trumpets for vials of the wrath of God and proceed to pour them out one at a time upon the inhabitants of the earth. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshipped his image. Remember that the Egyptians at the time of the Exodus experienced a similar plague due to the 
to, <laughs> to the ash which fell from the sky as chafed and chafed the skin of the Egyptians, causing boils and blains. Even though the account of the Exodus seems to imply that this happened only to the Egyptians, it's likely happened to everyone. So too, anyone unlucky enough to come in contact with the ash will very probably become ill from it. John again used the metaphor of the beast to explain that those who will have the mark of the beast, the red ash or dust, will be afflicted by this, by this plague. Also, it appears that people will have begun to worship the beast or dragon, which will again appear in heaven, just as it did at the time of the Exodus. Ironically, the same heavenly display of the serpent and dragon that instigated widespread idol worship anciently will again incite the earth's inhabitants to similar worship. The fourth angel is to cause men to be burned. Two phenomena in these destructions might cause this. The first, as we have seen, is burning naphtha, falling in large burning sheets or strings, and burning on ground or water, catching fire again and again. The second is that of exposure of a large portion of the Earth's surface to the sun for a prolonged period, as rotation slows and then stops. This prolonged day could easily cause incredibly high temperatures on the surface of the Earth. Both these phenomena occur in such an encounter in space, so that it seems likely that John was speaking of both. The next angel is to cause darkness. Taking into account the previous sign, one complements the other. If there is a prolonged day on one side of the earth, there must be a prolonged night on the other. Furthermore, we have seen how prodigious amounts of dust and debris entering the atmosphere cause a darkening of the sky. The sixth angel is to cause a great river to dry up. This would be a natural consequence of several things. Geologic activity, rotation disruption, or axis displacement. Velikovsky pointed out that such manifestations as rivers drying up, flowing upstream, dramatically altering their courses or springs drying up, and new strings bursting up where there were none before, are all well documented in ancient historical accounts of cataclysms. The seventh angel is to cause some other signs which we have also seen before. Quote, and there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake, and so great, and the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and every island fled away, and the mountains were not found, and there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven. End quote. Perhaps this is the earthquake that will return to the earth, return the earth to its former condition, wherein the earth shall be like as it was in the days before it was divided. As an indication of the extent of this last great earthquake, John stated in verse 20 that every island fled away and the mountain were not found. Last of all, John wrote that the hell which will accompany this last woe will be the most frightening of all, calling it exceedingly great. The Old Testament states that the sound of the meteorites falling upon Egypt was more fearsome than the damage which they did. John plainly wrote, it appears that John had painted an accurate, if unpleasant, picture of the destruction of the last days. In fact, Joseph Smith said that the book of the Revelation is one of the plainest books God ever caused to be written. In light of what we have considered in connection with the Exodus, John's account does seem much more understandable. Perhaps the only way to fully understand the book is through the Spirit, as Nephi taught, for the words of Isaiah, and certainly John's words, are plain unto all those that are filled with the spirit of prophecy. Nevertheless, the key which Velikovsky's explanation seems to provide is of inestimable value. 
to the student of the scriptures. While it does not serve to fully explain the prophetic account of Latter-day events, it may bring us one step closer in that progression towards the knowledge of such things.